I'm not sure anyone's really worried about the Christmas shopping today. Everybody's thinking about soccer. <laughs> Our football for the purists. I feel like Argentina is a sentimental favorite because of Messi. And you came to the early service so that you can be home for most of the game. I know what's happening today. <laughs> All right, well, we have a message for you this morning. We're going to be talking about hope and joy, which are two of the themes around uh, the Christmas story. And then we actually have somebody coming up at the end of my message today just to share with us their story of hope. You know, we all have a story um, from our past, different circumstances, and we all, uh, we can look back at, at some of the story of our life and we can see there's some sweet moments. There's probably some really difficult, bitter moments. And then everybody's Christmas time is in and around those things, like I said, you know, some of us are just celebrating what's going to be happening in our homes and feasting and all these different things. And other families are going to be going through a time of grief and loss. And we all have a story. And, and as we have been mentioning all month long, Christmas in the city, talking about the Christmas story and how it has actual meaning um, in our lives. Now, when we think about the Christmas story, the, the origin story of Jesus coming to the earth, the Advent story, that this story was taken places, again, it wasn't in Neverland far, far away. It was actually in the earth in a, in a specific time and place. And the story of the children of Israel in this moment, uh, before Jesus came, before John the Baptist showed up, there was a 400-year period for the children of Israel, for the nation of Israel. There was no prophet. This intertestamental period from Malachi to John the Baptist showing up sort of on uh, display with public ministry. And it was kind of like a silent time, 400 years. That's a pretty long time, right? It's longer than the nation of Canada. It's longer than a lot of recent history than, than we could think about. But for this time, it was, it was a time of despair. It was a time of difficulty. No prophets, no voice of God seemingly. Um, the Roman occupation. And then in the middle of all of this turmoil, in the middle of all of this difficulty that God shows up with Jesus. And when we think about that, this is when we actually need hope and joy is in the middle of difficulty. We need to, for God to show up in those times and God truly does show up in those times in our lives with his hope and with his joy. So we all know the story uh, of Jesus and when he was born and born in a manger. But as, as Mary and Joseph were taking Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated, there's some very interesting things um, that happened. And we're gonna read about this here in Luke chapter two, verse 25. And it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here this 400 year period where again, God had seemingly gone quiet, but for this man, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he was actually gonna see the Messiah show up. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, now I can die in peace because this promised Messiah has shown up. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So in other words, the Messiah came, the Messiah came for all people, salvation for all people. And obviously they knew the circumstances of Jesus' birth were miraculous, his conception was miraculous. But what was being said about him in this moment, they were marveling about that, that Simeon had uh, had this revelation that he was gonna see the Messiah. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So two very uh, different revelations here about the coming of Jesus. Uh, Up until this moment that Simeon had had this revelation by the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the Messiah show up. So he had hope in his life. He was joyful about the future that he was going to see the Messiah show up. While he was still living and in the Messiah came, he's like, now I can die in peace. But then there was also the prophet Anna in this moment. She was looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So for both of these uh, prophets, so to speak, they were revealing something about the character and nature of God and how he wants us to think about life. Hey, we can have hope because the Messiah is coming. And now that the Messiah has come, There's going to be a redemption in Jerusalem that how we think about the future now is going to be changed forever. Because how we think about the future is very important, that we need to have a joyful hope about the future. And the reason we can have a joyful hope about the future is not because of the world around us. It's not because the circumstances outside of us. Because we can look at situations and we could see hopeless situations. We can see never-ending difficult situations. And we can see the response to that uh, within our culture, within our nation. People are just like, you know, it is hopeless. I, I, I don't want to go on. There's, there's no future for me. But the coming of the Messiah should change that disposition and in our, for us, especially as followers of Jesus, in our hearts and in our minds. We shouldn't have a hopeless outlook on the future because of what's being said to us by the word of God, that we can actually have joy and hope. Luke 2, verse 10, in the same chapter previously, the angels were showing up in verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. That joy shows up in the middle of difficult circumstances because that's actually when we need it most. The voice of joy, the voice of God in this difficult time living in occupied lands, hopeless, struggle. The word joy or joyful means to have a positive Attitude. I love that. It means delight. It means gladness. It means a smile of happiness. It means good cheer. That all of these things, again, they actually come from the voice of God. The scripture tells us to count it joy when we fall into diverse testings or temptations. Why would we have to choose joy? Because a lot of life isn't joy. Can I get an amen? 
that, that the emotions and the feelings that come from life are not automatically joy. The scripture is telling us that we would actually choose joy, that we would choose delight in God, that we would choose gladness when life isn't actually glad. A condition of our heart, a condition of responding to the voice of God in the midst of difficult times. See, the scripture talks about the joy of salvation. It talks about that joy is the fruit of the spirit. It talks about all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. One commentator says this, joy is an unmistakable mark of a genuine disciple. Christians claim to have the spirit or the essence of Jesus taking up residence on the inside of them. Jesus created joy. If you claim the creator of joy is inside you and you're miserable, then something is wrong. It makes no sense. It's completely illogical. If if your experience as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that you have no joy, uh, you're doing it wrong. You're thinking about the wrong thing. You're, you're accessing uh, or you're, you're stepping off into life from the wrong foundation. Because again, all of the circumstances in life and all of the things that we will walk in aren't necessarily going to cause us to have a smile of gladness on our face. But with our relationship with God, the voice of joy comes. We all know this favors verse, the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, the enemy doesn't want you to choose joy because he wants you to be weak and have the uh, disposition where it's easier for you to get taken over, run over. But God wants us to choose joy, that we would choose his joy that comes from Christ. John 15 verse nine says this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. So where is the joy of the Lord? It's in us. It's not necessarily, again, coming from the circumstances that surround us, that the joy of the Lord would be in us. And it would be the thing that strengthens us, strengthens us to maintain us through those difficult circumstances. Again, the advent, this news of joy, occupied lands, difficult circumstances, hopeless moment for Israel. But God shows up and said, you know what? There's a message of joy. The Messiah is coming. The Christ is here. Psalm 16 verse nine says this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let the Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there is joy. And where is God's presence? He's with us all of the time. He never leaves us or forsakes us. You know, I've done a, a, a couple funerals recently, and, and you know, 
as followers of Jesus, you know, we, we grieve, the scripture says, but we don't grieve like other people. In other words, we're actually gonna be choosing joy in the moment of grief. And we're like, I, this doesn't, this seems like a juxtaposition of two things that actually don't go together. But this joy as believers, so much has to do with, man, we're gonna see this person again. This person that we miss and we long to see again, they are in the presence of God. They are experiencing joy. And we still grieve and we're grieving is a journey. But in those moments of grief, God shows up with his voice and his presence. And what's in his presence? is joy, the fullness of joy. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says this, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. A joyful heart, something that's going on on the inside of us, but a, a crushed spirit just dries you up from the inside. Now we can all remember a time where this is our experience. We were crushed. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you were betrayed or you were hurt or you were left or nobody cared about you. And in that moment, we're just, we're just crushed. And, and those feelings are so overwhelming that we can't even imagine a future. We can't even imagine coming out of this place of despair and despondency and difficulty and disillusionment. I can't even imagine a moment beyond this moment. But the scripture says, a joyful heart is good medicine. The medicine we need in those difficult moments is to listen to the voice of God who shows up in the middle of difficult circumstances and says, you know what? There's good news of great joy for all people. And there is a moment beyond this moment. There is a moment beyond this difficult moment. See, the enemy doesn't want you to get past those moments. There's no hope, there's no future. But God shows up with a voice of joy and with a voice of hope in our lives. Isaiah 12, three says this, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How are we gonna draw out water from the wells of salvation? With joy. Might not be the experience of our life, but it should be the disposition of our heart. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all of the earth, shout and sing for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We're gonna shout for joy when it doesn't look like joy. And then finally this morning, before we get to hear our testimony, our story, let's just talk briefly a moment about hope. That the story of Christmas, the story of hope, 
story of, sorry, rather, a story of joy and then hope. Simeon had this hope, this expectation about the future that he was going to see the Messiah. Anna had this expectation for the future for Jerusalem that they were going to see God's redemption. Do we have a joyful expectation for our future? Do we believe that our future is in God's hands, that he's going to be directing us? Or are we just at the whims, the circumstances, and the enemy, and the world, and whatever would go on? Or is our hope in God? Because these are two completely different things. If we're just looking at the world, and how it is, and how it looks like where it's going, it's hopeless. But we can actually have hope in God, this joyful expectation. That's what hope, according to the scripture, is a joyful expectation about the future. Now, you know, in common English now, hope is just kind of like a wish. Well, I I hope it gets better. And see, that's not the same quality as hope on the inside of us. Just I have this disposition of joy because I haven't placed my future in the enemy's hands. My trust is in God. My reliance for my future is in God. It doesn't mean that everything in your future is going to be easy, but you know that God is going to be with you in your future. So I have a joyful expectation that I'm going to be able to handle what comes my way because God is with me. I can look forward to the future. I can have hope. See, hope doesn't arise from just personal desires. But hope arises from God himself, who is our hope. Because sometimes we can have personal desires, things that we want, a wish about the future, and then it doesn't work out. Has anyone ever had one of those? And then we could just be like, oh my gosh, this is hopeless. No, but that's just, that's putting our hope in the wrong place. Our hope needs to be in God himself. It's the story of Abraham, who before he was Abraham, he was Abram. But God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And when God called Abraham, he was 75 years old, his wife was 65 years old, and they had no children. But the call was for the future was, you're going to be a father of many nations. When for all the previous years of their marriage, it was hopeless. No reason to hope. No reason to have a joyful expectation about the future. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Let's read about it here. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So that is us. The reason we can put our faith in God is by grace that he has made an opportunity for us to be in relationship with him. So he's laid something out there by his grace. And then by faith, we just say yes to it. This is how our relationship with God works. But let's read about the circumstances surrounding what was just written. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And this is what God said to Abram before he had a child. I have made you this thing. 
in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Verse 18, listen. In hope, he believed against hope. How do, how do we understand what's being said there? In hope, in other words, I'm going to have a joyful expectation about the future when I actually have no reason from the circumstances to have a joyful expectation about the future. Why? Because my hope is in God. My hope is not in the circumstances. My hope is in God and God is in me. And there's a well of salvation on the inside of me. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. So here's 25 years after the initial promise. And when he had considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So what was Abraham doing? He was giving glory to God. He was giving attention to God. That's different than giving all your attention to the circumstances. Because what's going to come from all of the circumstances? Hopelessness, despair, struggle, despondency. But here, Abraham is giving us the key. He gave glory to God and there was no reason to hope. He hoped anyway. Joyful expectation. And again, this is why the believer's death is different. Hey, they passed away, but we have this joyful hope that we will see them again. We always have this joyful hope for the future, for the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection. That regardless of what's happening in this world, we have hope for the future. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance. That word assurance means ground or confidence. Why do we have confidence about the future? The things that we're hoping for. We have faith in God. That our faith is resting on God. And so we have this joyful expectation about the future. 1 Peter 1 Verse three, Cynthia mentioned these verses a minute ago. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope, a hope that is alive every day. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That our hope doesn't fade when our attention is on God. So, so what, why do we have this living hope? Because of what Jesus has done. Because of the resurrection of Christ. 
that our attention goes to Jesus. And then what does it say? That we are born again, born into this living hope, this new life in God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is one of the terms that we see in the scripture, to be born again. All of us are born and living on this planet. But the new birth experience is that we are choosing to put our faith in God and have a hope for the future because of what Jesus has done, not just trusting ourselves. Not just us being our own Lord and our own master of our future. No, I'm born again into this brand new reality and I have a living hope in God. My trust is in Jesus. That he is this Lord of my life. And we're gonna pray for that here in a second. If you haven't been born again, if you haven't born it, been born into this new hope, you could do it today. Psalm 39 verse seven says this, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in God. My thoughts, my joyful expectation about what is to come comes from my trust in God. Finally, this Hebrews 12 Verse one says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen, all of that is for us too. Verse three, consider him. Think about Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what did Jesus do? Jesus had joy in his future, but he was going to the cross. And it was gonna be difficult and it was gonna be painful and it was gonna be a struggle. But on the other side of the cross, Jesus saw joy. And then the end of the verses that we just read, consider him, look at what Jesus did. How did Jesus overcome that moment of anguish and difficulty? There was joy out in his future. And it's the same way we're gonna overcome. It's the same way we're gonna have hope and we're gonna have joy and not lose heart. That we fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray today, God, we thank you so much that we can have hope in you. We don't have to live in despair We don't have to live in this place of what about my future? God, we fix our eyes on you this morning. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. We place our future in your hands, Lord. 
God, we know that in your presence is fullness of joy, that you are always with us. You'd never leave us alone. We thank you, Lord, that we have a joyful expectation of our future because of Jesus. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you are here this morning and you haven't, as we read there earlier, experienced this living hope by being born again, by putting your trust in Jesus, listen, today's your day. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. The gospel, the good news is all about God sending Jesus to the earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And because all of that happened, that God offers you the gift of a relationship with himself. Just comes by grace. Can't earn it. Can't be good enough to qualify for it. All we have to do is say yes. So if you have never done that this morning, I'm gonna pray here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning and you used to be close to God, but you kind of feel like you're distant from him today. And it doesn't really matter why, but you know, God is not mad at you today. God invites you close to himself. Again, you pray with me as well. So church, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray this out loud with somebody who might be praying it for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So today I say yes to that relationship. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I, as I mentioned at the beginning of my message, we have a story um, that Yomi is coming to share with us at this time. This is a pretty special story of hope that we're talking about at Christmas time. And how long ago did I marry you and Denny? That was 2015. 2015, seven years ago. Yeah. And uh, got to be a part of their wedding. And then she's going to share another part of their story this morning. So let's welcome Yomi. Good morning, City Church. Like Pastor said, um, my name is Yomi, and I've been a member of the City Church since 2012. My husband, Denny, and I met Memorial Day weekend, 2014, and we were married exactly a year later here in Mississauga. Our wedding ceremony was actually officiated by PB, and Denny and I have been attending as a family since then. We'd had a whirlwind romance, so we decided to wait a year after getting married to start trying for kids. So when I found out I was pregnant after 10 months of marriage, I was caught off guard and didn't feel quite ready. A small part of me didn't want to be pregnant so soon. And then a few days later, I sadly found out that I had lost the baby. I went from not wanting a baby so soon to wishing I was pregnant in a split second. I felt guilty and thought that my emotions had somehow contributed to the miscarriage. 
Little did I know that this would be only the beginning of a long journey marked with guilt, disappointment, and confusion. Uh, when we hadn't conceived naturally after a year of trying, my doctor recommended seeing a fertility specialist because they found large fibroids in my uterus. I was considering having these fibroids surgically removed when I found out that I had conceived naturally. Our very many fervent prayers for increasing our, our family had been answered and overjoyed couldn't even begin to describe how we were feeling. I was obviously nervous due to my previous miscarriage, but we took our fears and anxiety to God. The clinic began to monitor the pregnancy closely, and about six weeks in, we encountered issues. The doctor actually drew a sketch of what was happening. The fibroids were crowding out my uterus, and the fetus didn't have the space it needed to grow. The image was etched in my mind. Going through the process of losing a pregnancy is harrowing enough. The dashed hopes, guilt, disappointment, but to have that extra imagery was just another detail of torment. While my hormones were dropping, I kept insisting they check. I fiercely believed that everything was going to be okay. But on Christmas Eve, it was official that I had lost the baby at six weeks. The loss, especially happening around Christmas time when everything was so festive, was extremely devastating. I couldn't wrap my head around having lost yet another pregnancy. But somehow we found the strength to continue dreaming and believing for a baby. After waiting the necessary time before trying again, the journey of finding a surgeon started. I remember seeing a doctor who actually said to me that I was between a rock and a hard place. If I had the fibroids removed, the surgery could damage my uterus, making it impossible to get pregnant. But if I didn't have them removed, it was highly unlikely that I could carry a pregnancy to term. Those are the kinds of words and images that scar you when you're going through something like this. Words that don't offer hope or encouragement. And PB's uh, sister, Pastor Sherry, spoke during one of our women's events at City. And she talked about carrying the word of God with us, writing it down with our own hands and pulling it out in moments when we need to encourage ourselves. And that's what I did. And it really helped me through a lot of dark moments. I'd written a lot of scriptures that ministered to me and spoke life to me. And I carried it around in this little pocket-sized notebook. Then eventually, we were referred to a surgeon that would perform my surgery in, in 2018. And sometime before the surgery, we decided to fill out a prayer request card. During service, Pastor Earlby and Mrs. Coulter prayed with us one day. And when we met with them and shared our story, Pastor Earlby was actually moved to tears with compassion. And he gave us a Bible passage that saw me personally through this journey. It was Psalm 40 verses one to three, and it reads, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction 
out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And it was interesting that that passage also referenced a rock. But this time it was God removing us from what, we, what was holding us down and placing us on a solid rock, a firm footing from which we could see all that God had brought us through, making our faith in him even more steadfast. The surgery and recovery went well, and after a while we settled on a new fertility clinic that would try different forms of treatment that were less expensive than IVF. And the trials in a fertility cycle can be a devastating emotional roller coaster. You have a treatment, your, your hopes are up, but then as you wait for your results, your mind is just going through all sorts. And then when your procedure doesn't work, you're gutted, then the cycle viciously starts all over again. I distinctly remember one of these cycles I was in the middle of. I was so positive it was going to work this time. My nurse had even said, I have a good feeling about this one. I was walking around differently, confident. This one has, had got to be it. And I got the phone call at noon from my nurse. You can imagine how fast I ran to the phone to get the results of my blood work. I was so excited to get the confirmation that I was finally pregnant. And then I heard those dreaded words once again, not pregnant. And I hit a new low that day. I mean, how is this even possible? When is this going to end? And on that same day, my women's city group was meeting I really didn't feel like going, but I mustered the courage to go and meet them. Maybe being around people would be a breath of fresh air and I, I would be distracted from all that I was going through. I'd never shared my story with the group and yet that day, Barbara, she said to me, I thought about you today around noon. It was so specific. And I felt seen by God in that moment, like he was telling me, I see you and I know what you're going through. And it had been seemingly small moments like this that provided a deep sense of hope for us and gave us the strength to continue believing in our dream to have a family. As we continued to look at our options, the clinic began to recommend we prepare for IVF, which would cost up to about $20,000 a cycle money we certainly didn't have. Finding and saving an extra 20,000 seemed impossible. Nevertheless, we did everything in our power to get closer to having the IVF treatment. We were on the wait list for a government sponsorship program, but we were at the bottom of the list with an average wait time of about 18 months. We both felt a strong reluctance to go into debt to bring a child into this world. But nonetheless, we started looking at financial options available to us. Our doctor decided to appeal to the pharmaceutical companies for medication donations on compassionate grounds. Only a few were successful each year, but anything and everything would help. And to our delight, the company actually donated $5,000 worth of medication. So 5,000 down, 15,000 to go. 
I remember calling my nurse one day and we reviewed each IVF item line by line to see if there was any way I could get the cost of the procedure down. But everything served a purpose. I came home so overwhelmed by calculations and considerations. It was all beyond me. How are we going to make it work? Then a couple of hours later, I saw that missed a call from my nurse and called her back thinking something was off with my blood tests. I didn't even really want to call her back. I couldn't handle yet another disappointing report. And then to my surprise, she asked if Danny and I were open to starting the IVF with the government funding. Are you ready to proceed, she asked, and my mind was spinning. Weren't we at the bottom of the wait list? Was there something funny about this particular funding? Are we ready? Of course we're ready. And she let us know another couple had come up on the list and they decided they didn't want to proceed. And now the clinic had to use the funding or lose it. And we were first on her mind. I could barely get the words out of my mouth fast enough. I was like, sign us up. So to recap, the pharmaceutical company donated the medication we needed and the procedure itself would be funded by the government, starting a family without going into debt. What seemed impossible for us, God made possible. His favor was so blatantly undeniable. We got the great news that I had pr produced 16 eggs in total, but the morning of the egg retrieval, they decided it wasn't safe enough to attempt to retrieve all of them. I was gutted because logically the more eggs, the better the chances, and only two made it to the stage where it could be implanted. So from, four, from 16 all the way to two, it seemed like the numbers were not in our favor. But glory to God, our first implantation was successful it led to a beautiful, complication-free pregnancy and delivery. And last year, our Christmas was filled with great joy indeed, because on December 22nd, we gave birth to a precious baby girl that we named Ilerio Lua. Ilerioluwa means the Lord's promise. The full saying is Ilerioluwa kiye, meaning the Lord's promises do not fail. We base her name on the promise he gave to us in Psalm 40 verse 3, that he would put a new song in our mouths, a song of praise, and surely that's what he did. He turned our five-year journey full of disappointments and discouragements into a joyous celebration. And he did it in an undeniably God way, providing not only the favor, but the finances and defying the mathematical improbability of it all. Ilerio Oluwa, the Lord's promise, Oluwak Belumi, the Lord is with me, Talabi, is a testament of the tender love of our Lord.
that he is moved towards his children with compassion. Not only